ora and welcome to the New Zealand Improv Festival Audio Archive, bringing you live recordings and conversations from New Zealand's annual celebration of spontaneous theatre. This season, we bring you our conversation series. In each episode, a trio of improvisers come together to talk about what lights them up, what challenges them, and what keeps them excited about the future of improv. In this episode, we hear from Matt Powell and Liz Butler from Tifunga Nuiatara, Wellington, and Emma Brittenden from Atotahi, Christchurch. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience at Bats Theatre in October 2021. And now presenting the NZIF 2021 Conversation Series. Kia ora koto and welcome to session three of the NZIF 21 conference season. Uh, my name is Matt Powell and with me today are Liz Butler and Emma Brittenden. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Liz Butler. Hi, I'm Emma Brittenden. <laughs> uh, great, that's a that's all, that's I'm all we need. the microphone like a cat. Um, I thought we would start off, uh, it, there was an interesting assertion made um, by Emma that we're all warming up wrong. Emma, do you want to explain yourself? Um, so I've been uh, reflecting a lot recently on the, the, all the wonderful warm-ups out there um, and how usually after a warm-up session I feel worse. So um, that's been on my mind a lot is that we, we have a lot of um, warm-ups that are aggressive, uh, involve shooting each other, um, involve kind of turning on each other and certainly for me when I kind of assess where my body's at at the end of a, of a warm-up, I find myself being more fearful of the people either side of me um, uh, and feeling um, like I'm in a physical state of uh, fight, um, or indeed my, I'm usually a freezer actually, so often I just shut down, like in competition games, elimination games where we shoot each other, I'll just like... So, but I know there is one aspect of warming up which is good for getting into a state of flow, which is actually a bit of adrenaline because that always sparks flow, mm. but um, I find that often we mistake getting some energy into the room with actually turning on each other and yeah. in a collaborative when that goal, goal is collaboration, I find that, I don't know, I wonder if that's, my experience is that sometimes it's, it's, counter, it's counterproductive. Yes, yeah, that's interesting because now that I think about it, just about every improv show that I do where we do warm-ups, we do the warm-ups kind of 15, 20 minutes before the house opens and then everybody needs some time by themselves. <laughs> um, so are we actually warming up for the show or are we warming up to make sure everybody made the call time? What sprung to my mind when I thought of the warm-ups is doing warm-ups with a bunch of new people for the first time yeah. that gives me I get so nervous about that and well I used to a lot more and I remember this um improv hootenanny um in in Denver Colorado that would just have all the improvisers come you'd have to like just all of a sudden do these warm-ups with like a bunch of new people and I and I would feel so nervous and I think it was because you have to like prove yourself in mm. these warm-ups when it should be about like getting comfortable and getting in your body and like yeah feeling open and yeah sometimes they're more competitive so it doesn't feel that way. Uh, I remember at primary school and they'll be like okay do some stretches before we do running and they're like okay we're gonna do running so we'll do this stretch and they stretch your arms or something like that. And they're like, okay, we've done three stretches, right, let's do some running. And you're like, <laughs> a physio would probably be going, what the fuck are you doing? Because uh, they, they were like, let's just do some random stretches so that I can tick on my lesson plan that we've done stretches before we do running. But no, they're not actually like actually engineered to making sure that we won't 
pull muscles in our legs, which we were about to use, and I sometimes improv warm-ups like that, they're not thinking actually the skills we're going to need for this show or this class are these skills, so then are these warm-ups engineered to warm up those skills? Or are they just so that we will get to yeah, it, like you exactly. say? Um, so I'm, that makes me curious, do either of you have things that you need to do before a show, like to feel ready? How do you feel ready to, to be on stage? I have to play George Winston's album, December. December-themed piano um, album. And I have a set of warm-ups that I do that like just start like at my, with like my whole body and kind of like ease me into like breathing. And it's very much more kind of like checking in with myself and then also doing a mental check-in where I like let go of anything I need to let go of and then bring some, whatever intention I have for the show that I want to bring in. Um, and I find that just kind of going back to breathing and going back to like, all right, why am I doing this and what do I want to bring in puts me in like kind of that in the zone headspace that I love to be in before a show. Is that a solo warm up? It can be solo, but it's meant to be with, um, people like I've done it, um, in the bathroom alone, <laughs> once feeling nervous, but it's best done like with a circle and everybody comes together at the end and makes eye contact, which I think is really awesome, is just like actually making eyes with yep. people because so often we just, um, it's such a scary thing to do. It feels very vulnerable, but having like eye, eye contact where you can hold the gaze for a little bit makes you feel that much more connected. Often I find it's yeah it's it's getting it's getting the cast together and I know I have bad shows if the cast some choose to just go off and warm up in private because because they might be saying they're doing it for them but but then the story I'm getting is oh I'm being rejected before the show because everyone mm. is off doing their own things so for me it's very much it's being in a room together and doing something very stupid together like you say very much eye contact it's like when um that whole kind of hugging I've got your back thing came along like some sort of mm. shortcut to intimacy but um, it's I, I can't just I can't go through the motions of intimacy I my body needs to deeply understand that we've got intimacy so that is extended eye contact it's being in the room together doing stuff together and no one wandering off or subverting it with jokes um for me I find I need to have a shower as close as possible to <laughs> stage time um not not just for hygiene reasons, but uh, just because I, I find it very meditative and very contemplative to have a shower. Um, I've always found, found it's a very safe space for me. Um, and yeah, just like, just very relaxing and getting rid of whatever else the day's brought. Are there any pre-show things that have, like, like you were saying, Emma, the, the got your back, got your back, got your back thing um, that you loathe and wish we could just like set on fire forever? Um, hmm. Yes, one person hogging the room. I'm trying to think of something I loathe. Um, well, you're, you're a very a very loving person. Yeah, so <laughs> I appreciate this might be hard for you. Yeah. Um, I guess I loathe the like not checking in with everyone. Yeah, I think I'd prefer if everyone has a, has the space to come together um, if they're about to do a show together mm. and making sure there is a connection and, and I kind of I kind of don't like it I won't say no I don't like it when um, people are separated um, before yeah I, I, that you could separate but maybe at least have a like a full moment of connection 
Does it depend on the sort of show that you're doing? Hmm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, perfect. So I've started getting into um, doing more solo improv, um, again, for hygiene reasons. Um, uh, but I think, like, warming up by myself for a solo show is is really hard because I'm lazy. I'm not one of the people who will go off and do a warm-up by myself if there's a, a group show happening. I, I just will do whatever the group is doing. Um, but if I'm if I'm improvising by myself, it's really hard to be motivated to do any warm-up at all, um, even mechanical warm-ups like vocal warm-ups and stuff. Uh, are you in tune with where you're at? Like, can you notice in the show, you're like, oh, I wish I'd warmed up? Um... Not really. Um, I find it quite hard, actually, during the show to be aware of what my body's doing anyway. Um, so do you need to warm up then? That's a really interesting question. Maybe I'm in a, a constant state of readiness to improvise. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, like, in some senses, there's a responsibility to the audience to warm up, like, to make sure that you're as I say, mechanically and physiologically ready to improvise or ready to perform in any capacity. Like, you don't want to go on stage and suddenly have your voice give out or, um, you know, an old shoulder injury flares up or whatever. My feeling is that you should never put the audience in a position where they have to feel nervous for you. So, yeah, I guess it's, it's a personal discipline thing for me, probably. Can there be too much warming up? Yes, I think there can. Um, especially if you're working with something that's strongly formatted, um, if you have like prepared characters or anything like that, if you if you warm up too much into the thing, you start to worry: will we will we burn through our material before we ever hit the stage? It's like kneading dough. Yeah, you yeah. can over knead it. You can over knead it. Um, we uh, we do a lot of um, like long form soap operas, um, and we found over time that it's best to do as little as possible with the actual characters before the day. Um, because, yeah, we get too much into the characters and we start to worry about, oh, was that thing that we did in rehearsal canon because I wanted it to be a mistake that I could feel safe about leaving in the rehearsal room. But I guess it's not really, it's less warming up and more rehearsal. Yeah, maybe I think we confuse the two. Are we re warming up or are we, are, are we rehearsing? Yeah. So when we, when we play these games before the show, are, are we, we rehearsing being funny so that we know that we are funny when the audience gets there? I almost classify it as two warming up. There's like one warming up where you're accepting that you're like agreed to be in a show and be in a performance mode. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a warming up where like, oh, we are going to get those skills in our body that we're about to do. Yep. Like we're going to like feel them out tonight pre-show, so then when we get to the show, our show knives are really slick. Yeah. I mean, sharp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, slick and sharp. Slick and sharp. But not slick with each other's blood. Exactly. Yeah. Dry hands. That's the wrong sort of, yeah. <laughs> so can you explain it again? So two types? Yes. So there's a warming up of, like, connecting with each other and getting into the space and, like, agreeing that we are here to be in the zone and be in a show. Like checking in, almost. Yeah. And then there's, an, and that can be like a body warm up and like eye contact and 
just like letting go of the day pre-show. Mm -hmm. And then there's a warm up of like doing skills that you'll need in the show. Like if it was, you know, um, the saboteur, like doing mm -hmm. a little round of world's worst improviser or something, like mm -hmm. something to just like get you in. Yeah. in that mindset. It's interesting that phrase, um, letting go of the day, because do you need to? Like, is it okay to embrace what the day has brought for you and go, actually, I'm in a really silly mood, so just so we're on the same page, I'm likely to, to produce a silly show tonight. That's, that's where my energy is at. Um, and instead of trying to lock that down and go, well, the other two people in the show with me haven't had as silly a day as I have, <laughs> so I should try and be a bit more sensible. Um, or is it okay to go, guys, just, just so we're all on the same page, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a bit silly. Should we, should we have a bit of a silly show? I'd love it if that was often the case, but often what I seem to observe is before a show, everyone is a bit shut down, and I guess that's because so mm. many people have stressful jobs. And yeah. I would, yeah. Well, your show's late on a Friday night, at, for the most part, eh? Because yeah. you're, you're mostly doing scriptless, is mm -hmm. that right? Yes. You're, like most of the people in the show have done a full week of work and um, had dinner, and then it's, it's still reasonably late in the evening, and they... They may have had a little bit of time to unwind, but um, but then it's still quite a tiring time slot. Mm. Okay, um, I think we've probably run run the legs we've out on that one. Up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to. I kind of have been thinking about where I'm at in my journey as an improviser, mm -hmm. uh, uh, from wide-eyed ingenue to grumpy old coot. And I think I, I've identified a, a possible um, two types of people situation. These, these are branching into people who think of improv as wine and people who think of improv as whiskey. And what I mean by that is uh, both of them, like when you haven't had much of them, uh, you don't really know what the different types are. Um, but as you, as you get more experienced, um, you start to learn about the, the different sorts and the different kind of sub-sub-sub-categories and, and the distinctions that are like tiny distinctions. And, and I th I'm, disclaimer, I'm not a sommelier in any sense, but uh, my, where I'm driving with this analogy is that like if you, if you are a wine person, you're more likely to appreciate a whole lot of different types of wine. Uh, and, and have like this vintage that you really love and this, this red that goes perfectly with this specific type of cigar or whatever. Um, but if you are a whiskey person, you might be more likely to appreciate a particular type of whiskey um, and, and kind of hone in on, on that as a, as a very specific thing. And I want to know if you think you're whiskey people or wine people. I think I, I think I've kind of actually been thinking about this recently. I've also I um, was very inspired by the character workshop that we had with Cassie on Saturday. Okay. It was maybe Sunday, Saturday, um, and just him talking about being a person who gathers mm -hmm. information and how it's not like one set. Like this is the regimented like. Thing that I've learned and I'm completely dedicated to this, um, what would you call it, form? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know, um, dedication. And I feel like I'm so much a person who is like that, like picking from everywhere and, be, and like seeing a grape and getting 
distracted by that grape and being like, that's the best grape ever. And then going to another vineyard and being like, oh my God, but have you tried this? Yeah. So I think I'm very much a wine person in that I just see so much possibility from everything and I want to take from all of the varieties and make one giant bottle of wine. <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. It tastes really good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what and about bad you? sometimes. <laughs> what about you, Emma? Um, I'm I'm naturally uh, a quite fearful person, so I have a natural tendency to want to lock things down. But I certainly mm-hmm. I um, I also know that 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 way lies danger. So I, I like to get obsessed with a form and, and lock it down, and then be like, "Ah, oh, this is boring." Sorry, I, I whacked you. Yeah, I whacked you. And then um, <laughs> you're so sweet. Um, and then go off and. Um, get all excited about something else. Um, I think certainly uh, we, we're doing a form of art and I, um, uh, there's always a tendency in any art form mm-hmm. to, to want to lock it down, but that's yep. the moment it turns into craft. Yeah. So the person who designs the cross-stitch pattern is the artist, but the moment you can write down the instructions so that someone else can do the cross-stitch at home, it's turned into craft yeah. because now it's endlessly rickable, but, but it's no, no longer has that spark. And I find myself, I... I, I cannot watch anything that doesn't have the spark. Yeah, that's really interesting. You need the spark. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think for me personally, I, as, as I do more and more improv, I, I find myself developing a taste for what I do and don't want to do myself, which is not, not the same as uh, saying there's, there's certain types of improv that I just don't think are valid or don't want to allow into the canon or don't want to watch or whatever um but like more and more as I do more coaching and directing and stuff I start to think about um things in terms of what I would do if I was doing this thing uh and how like what my approach is to that as separate from what's good for this person that I'm coaching or this group of people and like I think that's I think that's really helpful in that it's good to be opinionated about things sometimes. It's good to know, like, what your own tastes are so that you can be aware of your own biases. What are your own tastes? I, I, I'm more and more appreciating very slow improv, um, improv with not a lot of talking in it. Um, I like physical action and, uh, and interaction, which is, which is interesting because my my starting out point for improv was very talky and very gag-based. Um, but, I, yeah, I'm definitely leaning towards more kind of almost clowning um, in, my, in my tastes of, of improv. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just really vibing with what you're saying. I feel like the um, clowning, physical, and slowness is just... Um, it's, it's so watchable, and it's yeah. so. I, I just love how it pulls you in without, um, you, without needing to say much, and but it can be totally captivating for an audience. Um, and I feel like I've barely just explored it because it feels. Yeah. I mean, that's a style that's been. It's so old. Yeah. It's like th- there's so much there. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. It's like it's so old. It's so vulnerable because the feedback is so it works or it doesn't um Mm. yeah and it makes um makes like gagging funny prov like just juice juice box when you've tasted like (laughs) 
wine. The wine. Yeah. 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 It's so good. That kind of improv, I think, is more watchable than people give it credit for. Do you think, though, like, we, when we do anything for too long, we start, like, self-loathing kicks in. You're like, ah, oh, I'm going to do the opposite because I hate myself. Because, um, I don't know, I've watched this journey that everyone seems to go through in improv where you start it and you're like, theatre sports is the best thing ever. And mm-hmm. then, like, two years later, you get, you're like, you're going to do long form. And then four years later, you're like, we're going to do a show about a divorce and there'll be no laughs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then seven or eight years later, you're back to short form, and then 12 yeah. years later, you're in a duo. So. Oh. <laughs> uh, Can somebody write that down? It's, it's too real. It's been recorded. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, where are you at on that journey, Emma? I'm up to the solo show. Oh. No, I am up to the joy. I just realised. Yes, um, I, but I think, but I reflect that uh, it's 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 because I don't know. I, I think we often we can sneer at what we do after a while, and and so I think there's something. I I love watching the people who have been in it so long and still have joy and love, and often they're the ones who. Uh, who can still watch amateurs and get something from that. So I often try to not be too snooty because I recognise that impulse in myself to want mm. to be snooty, and. Um, I have to keep reminding myself to humble myself and keep teaching beginners because that's a way that I can be on the floor and not enforce myself to have the time to be around that. And, yeah, does that make sense? Because yeah. it stops me from then saying, well, I saw one good performance of improv in 1988 in Los Angeles and I've never watched improv since because it was the, it was the you know, perfect expression, yeah, which I never want to be like. Which is um, actually a great segue uh, because... Because I, um, I think that the two of you are two of the naughtiest improvisers I've ever worked with. No, we're not. No. Uh, we're really good. Um, by which I mean, uh, I, I just love the way that you're able to undercut uh, the, the tension or the, the overblownness or the snobbiness of a scene without destroying the moment or the... the the story or the work that's happening on stage. I think I know. I think I know what the secret is. The secret <laughs> to naughtiness. <laughs> I think, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Is commitment. It's just committing to it. Yeah. And like, if as long as you commit to being like, like you, you're believing in that world. You're, you're believing in you know the character that you you set out to be from the beginning. That you can kind of do the, you can play with the tension because you're you're so you're so believing in it, mm. and then the audience then um, goes clap clap clap. Whoa! Can't believe it. <laughs> can you talk a bit more about believing? I'm not sure I understand. I think I'm using believing as a synonym for con- commitment of just like believing the world, believe like believing the character physicalities that you've chosen or like you know the perspective of that character that you've chosen believing that so much that you can um kind of undercut I don't really know I I can't really think of what undercutting is but 
I, I think assume. I think I think I get what you're saying there, and I think it's related to like allowing yourself to be a whole character. Yeah. So like, uh, if you, for example, say um, say you're in a like, I I don't want to give an example of a scene, but like that that your character is able to do something naughty without becoming a character who does naughty things all the time. Yeah. Or um or, or whatever. Uh, introducing that as a facet of the character rather than shifting the character to a new type of person. Yeah, almost like just layering the character with um, nuance. Yeah. But not as, like, heady as that sentence sounded. <laughs> just, just naturally being... Yeah, yeah. naturally. Yeah. Um, I found this interesting because I've never, I get told I'm sort of naughty, um, but actually amongst my sort of female friends, I'd be like the most serious and dull and boring of them all. Um, but I reflected, I probably have fallen um, into You have that. a Twitter account for a fictional goblin. I do, yeah. That's <laughs> 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 um, a good point. Um, <laughs> but I, I think because um, my, my history with improv is being um, called up from the ranks of a female high school um, because they needed women to, to fit into a male company, um, which, you know, you of were which in which I time, was a part, yes. Of which you were a part. But um, certainly um, the, the company that just had enough women that there were women on stage, but not enough that we would ever be together in scenes, able to create our mm. own language of what scenes look like. So for so that's coming up twenty years that in that uh, being in that environment where so I, I call it megatroning where where from the from the scene starts and they're like these guys are like megatron 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 to each other and and I'm sit on the side of the stage going oh, what the hell am I going to contribute so so there's very there's there's a few things I can do I can come on and try and do megatron but I don't even know who megatron is so um, if I can't do that then I can come on and do something and I don't want to just come on as like a floozy with tits because I'm not very good at that and I, I don't know, I just feel gross about that. So I indeed, so the, the third option left for me is to come on as some sort of charming clown and get laughs that way and belong in the scene that way. But it's actually, it's been born by necessity in a way that's mm. so, I've learned those muscles because that's the muscles that allow me time on stage. Mm. Um, they're in me. I'm a very, I don't know, I, I'm very silly, I suppose, at home, but, but I also think I've probably worked on those muscles more than if it were an entirely female, female company. Mm -hmm. I would probably be the serious one of the company. Have you done um, much work with just all women casts or all non-men casts? Not enough. Yeah. Not enough. I, I totally, my background is just so, it's so male-dominated, and I, I, I was just totally shaking my head at what you're saying because it is, it's like trying to find a way to get in on the joke, but then also make it your own and also like have time on stage. I've, I feel like it was even, it even goes back to like being on the school bus and like trying to like get in on the jokes because it was also a male dominated school bus. And it's just kind of that wow. way of like trying to get in on it. Emma, do you ever start scenes as a as a naughty clown? Um, oh yeah, I, I certainly I'm I will do that, and I I have that reputation. I think people understand me enough now that they're like, oh yeah, that's that's Emma's language. But I never I never even now bizarrely ever get much of an opportunity to perform with 
other women and it's due to just different experience levels in the company, mm -hmm. due to the number of women there, due to personality differences and stuff. So it's just, um, un unless you force it, that's, it's bizarre that there's still that default. Yeah. Um, I, for some reason, I, this is probably weird to say, but I, 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 women or gay men, mm -hmm. Um, there's something, um, I don't know, I would love gay people to talk about if they, if they find it easier or harder to with women, but I find it easier and I don't know why. Um, mm. It's very strange. Um, <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's a terrible thing to say. And, but it's almost like a lot of women get worried about, um, is it anti-feminist to perform with other women? And then that's its own battle as well, mm. of the sort of feminism means... I can play yeah, with there's the men. a there's a paradox there, isn't there? Because uh, you're you're carving out a space where it's it's only women, uh, and and so you develop skills for playing in that space, and then that doesn't solve the problems of quote unquote the rest of the time um, when uh, when you are in mixed companies uh, or or on mixed stages. Okay, uh, I guess the question then is, uh, what what do you wish uh, for in that in that regard? Like, I can I can say a deep wish that I've had for a long yeah. time is to have. <laughs> I've just wanted a duo person that like I just had that spark mm -hmm. with, and I feel like I've had sparks with people f over the years, um, but then it just you know, timing or moving away and location, yeah. like it just couldn't work out. And so I think it's like a, not only about, you know, feeling comfortable, I guess, you know, with a woman or a queer person, um, and, but also having that spark, mm. not just them fitting that, that like category of, you know, woman, but also like having that connection. I know, yeah, nothing, nothing is so black and white as it, it is. Yeah. It's, it is the spark, yeah. 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 Um, I've, so something on my mind at the moment is that I um, just, I, I'm in a position where in my company I've, I find that I'm sort of senior and the, like mm -hmm. the, I, I've just been aware of how much damage seniority does in improv because it forces people into roles and yeah. so I just find myself wanting to like turn everyone, every improviser I see over onto their head and just, just turn them all over like, uh, like salt and pepper shakers and get all the salt and pepper out and just mix it all around and be like, all right, come on. Uh, I, what I a think, naughty um, thing to do. <laughs> 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 uh, um, had a lovely workshop um, just as the other day. Um, so Truby is leading us and he has done for the last uh, couple of years, is it? Um, yeah. yeah, and he's doing such a wonderful job. He's, I really just, just truly believe um, he's, he's a wonderful leader. Um, and... Uh, but he did a workshop the other day, which was um, something that he and Maria, I've heard both talking about, which was just getting people to do an offer at a time. And he was fo really focusing on just, just a single offer at a time. Mm -hmm. and, and my uh, revelation from watching that was like, oh, couldn't tell who was experienced and who wasn't in the room. And it was that simple. Like all the mm. experienced people who usually take on the burden of like, I'll do the heavy lifting, give 75% of the offers and you just stand, stand there and look useless. And then it'll be a good show all that dynamic was gone and it was a volley and it was and I was like oh the quality is as simple as that mm. uh, so that's in my mind right now is um, stop believing that you're senior um, just yeah 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 just I'll just keep saying yeah yeah and then turn the mic yeah a, a, a lot of a lot of the time when I see like like mixed experience levels on stage like I see someone who's experienced and someone who's 
less experienced. I just want the experienced person to shut up and get out of the way so that so that I can see more of what the an experienced person is doing because they don't know what's good improv and what's bad improv and they're just like being pure about it and I just want them to have a a pure experience of it without being corrected by someone who knows better. Yeah, I, I wonder though about um, like the experienced people are the ones who like know how to rush the stage mm. and they know how to like, they're like, oh, okay, I've, I, I'm kind of like listening to what this scene needs and I can go and I can put that there. Yeah. And how do we enable like less experienced people to get into those positions, but you know, but still f- making sure that they're hearing it. It's sitting the less experienced ones down and being like, come on, just believe in yourself, be brave, come on, take a risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And also maybe telling the experienced people, like, let them take a risk. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's, like, little exercises that you can do with, like, giving the experienced people like secret rules like secret rules of improv like you've done so such good work at improv we decide you need to do 25 percent less this week and you will still pay you as much improv holiday yeah but just just things like um every time you make an offer you're not allowed to make another offer until they've made one or or something like that yeah Mm. Um, anyway, it's about time to take some questions from our studio audience here in the studio at Bats Theatre. Uh, does anyone have a question for our panel? Um, this is like the start of a sentence, but I, I don't really know what the end is. But um, uh, um, yes, I do feel, um, as a gay man, notorious homosexual even. Um, um, uh, <laughs> um, I, I do feel an alliance um, with, like, women, and I don't know how much of that is just from the rest of my life. Like, I, um, I already feel like I live off script in terms of maleness, and so maybe, I'm, maybe that enables um, queer men to kind of go along and just play in these other imaginative worlds. Maybe, I don't know, that's just a big old guess. Um, but um, I also want to say, I want to acknowledge that though... I think it's easy for gay men or queer men to automatically assume that they are behaving as allies of women when I don't think we always are. I think we, I think we assume that we must be, but I don't think we always are. So I also want to drop that in. Um, um, queer men, ju- just do still review your behaviour and be like, am I being the best, am I being the best friends to women right now? Because um, I don't think we always are. Um, I think that's... <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, that that reminds me as a like as a bisexual man uh, performing a regular show in a company with um, three women um, who are who also happen to be bisexual. Uh, but not only is it the best time for me, like I, I just have such an amazing time performing with those three women. I also feel like kind of privileged to be there. Like they could be do, they could be choosing to do a show without me, which. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, thanks. <laughs> Thank, thanks for having me. <laughs> Hello. I have a question about um, what you were saying about seniority and, um, you know, giving other people a turn to gather their bravery. Um, do you think 
that there is a lifespan of an improviser. Do you think that at some point you reach a point where you're like, maybe I should let other people just have a go or I don't know what, I don't know really the answer I'm, I have no opinion on this whatsoever, but it just sparked that for me. Like, yeah, is there a time where you should retire? I think in terms of companies or if you've got like just a clump of people, you can harden, you can, scabs can form over things and you're just not so flexible. And I think probably, I think you could retire from companies, but not from the act of, <laughs> there's a mysterious man coming in. <laughs> Someone's trying to come into the room and I'm very... Um, but my goal, um, I f um, my goal is to be um, a little old lady at 95 with a little frame and just be like a naughty little, naughty little um, oh, wizard and just, just be up for like silly little adventures. And so I hope I'd still be improvising as this old little little old lady, but, um, but I think that's the attitude of improv, but I think, um, yeah, I'm, again, going back to the feeling myself in a company and thinking, am I just inadvertently contributing to a company culture where I have been here so long that, that I, the act of just me, me speaking is, means that someone new I can't speak, even though I try to modulate, to watch mm. how much I can contribute anyway, yeah. I think we've got to treat it like compost. Um, <laughs> yeah, bring a little permaculture into this um, improv chat. Um, if we're like, we gotta put some more. We gotta put some more people in the compost. We gotta <laughs> turn it over. We gotta um, interact with different groups. You know, um, form new groups. Like I think when when we're doing something for a really long time, you can get stuck. Um, like. Like you'll you'll you're just gonna not. It can be just kind of dull after a while, and mm. you're not gonna you're not gonna start generating new ideas because you're just with the, um, the same old jimbos. And if you, <laughs> if you start to connect with new people, like yes, it's it's hard at first, but then you build you build that community again, yeah. and you build that relationship. I think if you're like planning like a season of shows and you're all like on Zoom or in a meeting or whatever and then you, you find yourself talking more about like the admin of like how the seats are going to be spaced out more than what you're going to do for the show, I think that might be a warning sign. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, so it's kind of a kind of a midsummer situation where at a certain age we should be politely encouraged to jump off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Into a paddling pool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it also there's also a lot of um, stuff about like managing your your inputs. Like, like are you are you getting input? And I think yeah. people people can tend to burn out uh, on the same improv journey for for ages because they're not they're not embracing any fresh insights or doing things that'll encourage them to take a fresh view. It's so funny because so parallel to this, I'm a photographer, and so you'll go to like photography summits, although they're usually just gross, so don't. But I've been to a few, and then the, there'll be a panel exactly like this, and there'll be, but they're saying exactly the same thing, and, and a huge mantra in the photography community is you are what you eat. Uh, you've got to be consuming good stuff to be able to shit it mm -hmm. out. Um, yeah, into the compost. Wait, I don't know. Poos are poos, actually. Yeah. But, um, 
quality poos. Well, better, better, well, that's that's better. the thing, right? If you if you get the if you fertilize your soil with the same fertilizer and then it grows the plants uh, that that make the food and then you poo out the food and you put the poo into the fertilizer. Over time, the fertilizer becomes less effective. Yes, yeah, right? so you need to eat more nitrogen. Yeah. Well, you need to you need to bring in a source of nitrogen from somewhere. Yes. To to continue to make that that effective, I think. You need so I think to answer your question, Laura, we just really um, <laughs> we just really need to uh, include more nitrogen in the improv diet, yeah. and yeah. then the longevity will just last as long as we live. And <laughs> um, what's what's your personal nitrogen, Liz? My nitrogen, I think, is doing new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, but like doing new things, uh, with new people, but with enough time to make connections. I think despite being an improviser, I think I'm a bit of a slow processor and I think I need time to kind of like get in a groove with, um, like communities and things before it, before it feels like, oh, I, I get this, but getting in that groove with new communities and new, um, activities or hobbies starts um, bringing up that refreshment for me. Yeah. What about you, Emma? What's your nitrogen? Uh, my nitrogen is feeling, feeling deeply safe because I have a huge worry about just being like, what the fuck is that? What, who the fuck is she? So if I am, have, can be in environments where I can feel safe and appreciated for just being who I am that makes me, mm-hmm. then, I, then I can get excited about stuff instead. Whereas if I'm feeling like I have to restrict myself and behave in a certain way, then all my creative impulses are saying, don't come out, it's not safe to be creative right now. So that's for me. Great. Um, What's yours? To answer my own question, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, for me, I've discovered that my nitrogen right now is coaching. Um, I'm getting a lot more coaching opportunities through Late Night Knife Fight, through the festival, through um, Locomotive, uh, the various workshops around the place, um, that through looking at someone else's idea and going, see what you're doing, let's make it into a thing, and, and tr- trying to kind of get to the, the heart of what 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 the thing is that's going to be exciting and inspiring about that show. It like really gives me the opportunity to kind of dissect my own views on improv and like how would I approach this versus how would they approach this? Um, how is that going to be served by being improv as opposed to writing down a script and rehearsing it and making props and sets and doing it properly in inverted commas? Um, yeah, removing the mediocrity as uh, Dan Allen <laughs> might say. Um, uh, but yeah, it just really gives me a, like a really a, a series of fresh perspectives um, and, and things to watch for. Uh, do we have any other questions, Kieran? Yeah, I've been trying to figure out how to phrase it. Uh, I think it's related to seniority and creating space and things. I feel like I think my opinion is that improv can't be handed down. All of the things that make it work are things you kind of have to discover for yourself. What do you think are the best ways uh, for for coaches and things to facilitate that and to step away from, here's how it all works, into letting people figure things out? 
Um, yeah, I've certainly noticed um, from watching uh, all of the strong, strongest companies, well, certainly conversations I've had recently, we talk about how, oh, our company, we started our company, we didn't know how to improvise, we were online reading books, figured it all out for ourselves. I know that's certainly Brennan's journey as well. And, and then you create something new because you love it. And then, you, you, then you're like, let's get some new people in. And then these people are coming into an institution, they're learning how you do it up here and they're emulating you, but they're not learning that they're not driven by that shit, we've got to make this work, we don't know what mm. we're doing. They're suddenly, they've suddenly got an, um, like, like an NCA kind of achievement model of this is how you achieve excellence. The big temptation when we're teaching is to say we have found the platonic ideal of how to do word at a time, this is how you do it, these are all the hacks. Um, but the only way I can teach now is to say, right, my golden, like my golden rule when I teach is be fun to play with and basically that's the only time I ever give them mm. any rules. And if I say we're going to play word at a time, I'm like, okay, it's called word at a time. How on earth do we play this? And I just get them to do 20, and by the 20th, they've figured it out, and sometimes it's better than the jesters do. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. People figure it out. You just, just don't tell them what to do. Mm. Invite them to just listen to their guts, and it's as simple as that mm. for me. I do <laughs> find when I'm, when I'm coaching or when I'm teaching, um, I have to kind of have some idea of the sorts of exercises that I think might lead to a productive result. Um, but I, I, and I can't remember who exactly said this, I think it may have been Jill Bernard, um, uh, that the only thing you should ever ask after, a, after an exercise in a workshop is how did that feel? Mm. Um, and, and take away any judgment of uh, what made that better or whatever, because that's, that's implying that what, what you've decided is the right way will be the right way for that group of people, some of whom you've never met before because it's a festival workshop or whatever. Um, yeah, just ask how did it feel and actually be responsive to that. If they go, actually that was harder, um, then scrap it, throw it away. Because um, if it's not producing the right, if it's not inspiring and if it's not producing you know, productive work, then it's, it's not useful. When I get coached or when I've learned new skills, I get really caught up in, is this the right way? Mm. And I'll find myself, and I've found myself, um, stop doing some, like stop not doing a thing um, if I think it will be wrong, which is, which I think improv has helped me unlearn and improv's yep. helped me totally just like jump and like jump in and totally, um, just let myself go without thinking. So I think, yes, giving, you know, like not giving too much, uh, too many directions, but, but also giving ample encouragement and enthusiasm that like you're not gonna be wrong because everything you do is like uniquely you and magical and will be unlike what somebody else would produce. Yeah. And is actually can be quite a learning moment for the advanced people up there mm -hmm. as well. If there are no more questions, then I think that uh, that might be us for this afternoon. Uh, thank you very much to Liz Butler and Emma Brittenden. Um, thank you very much to Matt Powell. Do you have anything to plug, you two? Um, if, it's, if it comes out the first week of November, I've got a show on um, called The Yellow Wallpaper. That is a non-improv show, but it will be. it's a very... Um, high production value this one so great yep uh so i got scared scriptless in christchurch and also i'm doing a show uh late november and it's called ron mckinley's retirement party and it's where we hold a retirement party for a made-up fellow and all the audience end up being his family and friends and ex-lovers and uh it'll be at little andromeda
Wonderful. Uh, thank you very much. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, I have uh, just semi-regular things with Late Night Knife Fight and One Act Play here in Wellington. That ends. That ends. Thanks, everyone. This episode was produced and edited by me, Aaron Douglas, and made possible thanks to New Zealand Improvisation Trust and Creative New Zealand. The New Zealand Improv Festival ran 4th to the 16th of October, 2021, at Tifanga Nui Wellington's Bats Theatre. Learn more about it at improvfest.nz or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.